Is that what I'm saying? Rough Trade Radio. 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 Hello and welcome to this label focus episode of Rough Trade Radio. I'm Liv Siddle and I'm joined here today by Nick Gold from World Circuit, which is a London-based label that was founded in 1986 by Anne Hunt and Mary Farquharson. Is that how you say it? Farquharson. Farquharson. Got it. Yeah, I'm pretty close. Hi. <laughs> how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Fantastic. Um, I was kind of going to ask if you could explain in your own words what World Circuit is for anyone that doesn't know it out there. Right, yeah. I mean... Eventually, we ended up focusing mostly on West African music and Cuban music. But when the label was founded, these two um, women, Mary and Anne, were bringing artists over from all over the world. But their brief was to bring artists who are only known locally, but then bring them from a local circuit to a world circuit. So that's where the the, um, the label name got coined, rather than as a um, rather than from the the, the the phrase of world music it became, it came from to, to bring them to a to a world circuit so to bring them you know to as many people as, as they could and they were touring artists mainly in the UK from you know from Venezuela from Sudan from Kenya and people were asking for records by them but they didn't have any records mm-hmm. or they might have had cassette releases at home so that's when the idea came to form a record label to start recording them that's great. How how were the how were the women going about finding the people at that stage? Well, they they were going out and finding them. So they would travel to these countries to Kenya, Venezuela, and they also had a board of um, directors that they chose, including Lucy Duran, who's now at SOAS and was a radio. Eventually, became a Radio Three um, world music producer. So they had this little panel of experts that would help nudge them into the right direction. And That's then, amazing. Yeah, it's a, and then once they were in in the location in Kenya, then they would be someone would tell them someone and someone. Would, you know, that just you know, then it would be hand to mouth. People, yeah. would, people would just make recommendations. God, it must have been amazing to be in those countries back in the eighties. No. Different to how it is now. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah, incredible. Um, so, what do you do there? Well, basically, I'm the artistic director now. Like, I, I started off. I'd been um, collecting records and fueling this record collection, working at a couple of record shops. One was called Mole Jazz, which is a jazz record shop in King's Cross, and another one was um, Honest John's, which was originally in Camden and then moved to to Notting Hill. And I was also doing um, play centres at schools, waiting to do teacher training college. Ah. And and I got a voluntary job at um, World Circuit after they'd released one record. And I was put in the, I was, we had a Kenyan band over and I was told, you know, the only experience I had was from working in record shops and collecting records. I never actually... I don't think I'd seen bands, but I'd never actually spoken to a musician, I don't think. So you know, there's all these sort of hero worship various musicians. And then um, we had a band in town, a Kenyan band called Sharati Jazz, and I, and I was asked to go and find a studio and produce a record, which from from nothing. Oh, my God. So we, we found, a, a weirdly, we found a Kenyan producer, a guy who'd worked in Kenya producing pop records there, and we hired a, hired a studio and put the got the band in there. And then... It was my very first time in a studio and the, and the, 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 the microphones are being set and so forth and you're at the, at the desk with the producer and you're hearing the, the instruments come through one by one, which I'd never experienced before wow. and I just fell in love with it. So you had never had any experience before at all, no. going in blind? Blind, just, yeah, just as a, as a fan really. That's sometimes had, when the best no things experience. happen, I suppose, Yeah, just yeah, going but, into something like that. 
Yeah, but I mean, I fell in fell in love with it and couldn't couldn't leave the office and you know would be in, you know when the first day remember the first day in the studio when it came to an end I was like I couldn't believe that we actually people would voluntarily leave the studio when we could just carry on. <laughs> How did you come across Anne and Mary then at the beginning? Because you said you were doing teacher training and then you volunteered. Yeah, well, I was doing teacher training. I was also doing voluntary work for a company called a government company called community music which was outreaching music into schools and so forth and they put me in touch with Anne and mary because they were starting a record company got it so they thought because i had some mix and they were also Anne and mary when they were bringing musicians over to the uk they were taking them into schools and doing workshops and stuff so they sort of thought my sort of weird combination of what i was interested in and doing would would suit and i suppose it did well, yeah, yeah, it did. But I mean, they, they had no experience of running a record company at all. So I, I arrived there and they just said, right, it's go ahead, you know, run the record company. And what year was that? 86. Wow. Yeah. And I have to ask, because I really want to know this. What was it like when you used to work at Honest John's? Oh, I loved it. I Honest, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a dream yeah. record store to work in. No, it wasn't. No, I was, th- th- those, that, that period when I was, you know, I was working at like three days at Mole Jazz and then I was working in the afternoons at a play centre and then going for like two half days a week at Honest John's. It was just amazing. It was just, yeah, I was, I was, I was in heaven. How was, old were you then? I would have been early 20s. So just out of wow. university. So you must have yeah. seen that sort of that area around there develop quite a lot since, since you were back then, Honest John's. Oh, well, yeah. change, yeah, 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 yeah. But I, me- I remember them when they were in Camden as well, just over the over the bridge there. Oh yeah, of course. You must so have been back there then. Yeah, I'm old. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> yeah, I just think Honest John's is one of those places that is. I mean, Rough Trade used to have maybe a bit of a no. It never was a scary place. But I remember going to Honest John's as a teenager, and I was terrified of buying something from the counter there because I just didn't, you know, because it's so small and intimate and, yeah, and yeah, weird yeah. and stuff. You know, it's a scary place when you're that age. Oh, but... it's a shame that it's scary, though. It shouldn't be scary. I think that's probably just me, not it wasn't oh, right. the shop. <laughs> I just remember, it was like, when we when you used to, like, remember a couple of women came into Mole once, Mole Jazz, and they said it looked it just looked like a urinal, you know, these Ed <laughs> racks and racks of um, vinyl with people sort of thrumming through them. And it was... <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah, it was, it was very rare when a woman would come into that shop. And you were a big collector of records at that time. Yeah, yeah, nearly all jazz records. Wow, have you still got all those records now? I got a lot of them. Yeah. Do you still yeah. collect? Yeah, I don't collect like I used to, but I've mm. I've got a bit more um, specialist in what I collect. What kind of like, stuff do you go for? Oh, well, at the moment I'm collecting these. <laughs> at the moment I'm collecting these ten-inch Decker West Africa High Life albums, which there's about I think there were about. 15 or 16 I just think they're very pretty I love all well, the music's very pretty but the covers are beautiful as yeah well. so there's 15 or 16 in total yeah there's only 15 <laughs> or 16 in total and I'm up to about eight or nine of them they're, they're really expensive so oh to, my god yeah. so have you got like alerts set up on websites and things so yeah, you just know yeah. it have you ever just found one for your collection that was just when you were just browsing racks oh, yeah I found one two weeks ago and uh, there's a tiny record shop near where I work at in um I can't remember what it's called that's terrible isn't it <laughs> in Crouch End there's a little record shop and they had one the other day. Really? Yeah. God, that feeling must be so great. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How much was it? Do you want to maybe yeah, you don't yeah. have to say that? No, it was only about, it was about 20 quid. No, it was, it was a bargain. Amazing. Yeah. Well, good luck for the rest of your quest. Thank you. I suppose we're here to talk more about, you know, World Circuit and that kind of thing, which we will do. And then we're going to play some, some records mm. um, from that. So can you tell us about what World Circuit's been doing in the last sort of few years? And yeah. Yeah. I mean, just now we're just finishing a record which should be come out in September by a band called Trio de Cali, which is a trio from Mali, which consists of a, a balafon, 
a bass and goni, which is a like a traditional guitar, but it's, it sounds like a bass, and a singer. So these are those are three musicians from the Mandate tradition in Mali, and they're all griots, which are hereditary musicians. Mm-hmm. And they're put together with a ba- with a string quartet from America called Kronos Quartet. Oh yeah, yeah. So that so that the, all the repertoire is from the from the Malians, and they sent this repertoire to America, and that was then arranged for string quartet. And then we ended up for some reason we ended up in Switzerland in a studio to record them, and it was we spent two and a half, three no, about three days recording all in one room, and. Yeah, it's it's difficult to describe. It's very it's very new. So these are they, so it's string quartet arrangements, and there, there's no added instruments to that. And it's I just think it's amazing. It's, that must it's be incredible. Gorgeous. Yeah. Do you get to yeah. travel quite a lot with your job? Yeah, not as much as I did, but yeah, I do. I mean, for that one, I'd, I'd seen I'd seen this band a couple of times in Mali, so I got to I got to see them in Mali, and then we're in actually yeah I did actually now I think about it, and then San Francisco we went and. And mixed and did some recording and Switzerland. Yeah, so I travelled actually. Yeah, sorry, I thought I travelled quite quite a lot for that record. Yeah, yeah, but no, I love travelling. Yeah. So you've been going out to kind of find bands in in places like Mali. Have you been behind discovering one of the bigger bands on World Circuit? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the lot of the the bands that we've worked with and that I've I wouldn't say discovered is has been a musician recommending another musician. So, oh, really? So Anne went out and found um, Ali Falcature. Ali had already released records in a by a French company, and and they were causing a bit of a a stir, but no one knew where he was, who he was, or where he could be found. Except eventually, we were told by a musician called Timani Giovate that he was from Mali. So Anne went out to Mali. And went to the radio station, and they put a broadcast out saying there is someone looking for Ali Fagatur. If he happens to be in Bamako, please come to the radio no. station. Yeah, and he did. So, he, <laughs> so he turned up, and um, she invited him to the to the UK. And then we went to meet him at the the airport. Yeah, and that was for for me. That was an incredible moment meeting him because all my you know the, the people I hear are worshipped before you know musicians from bebop era like. Charlie Parker and so forth, and blues musicians like Muddy Waters and and John Lee Hooker, and it it was very apparent immediately that he was of that stature. That wow. he was sort of amazing. So it was, you know, it was, and and you, you, it was a privilege to be in his presence. And he was this huge, larger than life person. When and it was just incredibly beautiful to watch him play. That just the hands on the on the guitar were amazingly beautiful. And yeah, the sounds coming were just, it was just incredible. That is amazing. Yeah. It must be so good just to form relationships with these people that you completely um, admire so much. And then you get to work with them and produce things with them. And they must be so pleased that you're helping them do that as well. It's just a really good. Yeah, it was wonderful. And I carried on working with him until till he died in 2007. So it was, yeah, it was a, worked with him for a, for a long time. Wow. And uh, and you know, so via him, he recommended this musician called Umu Sangare that we've that we work with. He gave me her cassette and just he gave me that cassette and just said, "This is music." And then when I went to Bamako to visit him, that music was you couldn't escape it. It was just everywhere. It was like the soundtrack of the whole city. Every, everywhere you went, you heard it coming out of cars, in cafes, in the market. So we I spoke to her and we managed to release her record and then start working with her, and then her. One of her backing singers was Fatimata Juara, and she gave me Fatu's demo, which we eventually made into a record. So, you know, a lot of the time it was musicians introducing us to other musicians rather yeah. than didn't have to look very hard. That's great, though, isn't it? 
That's the best way. Oh, yeah. I wanted to ask, too, about um, the album artwork that you guys put out because it's really it's really exceptional album artwork. And how do you, do you kind of tend to find local artists? Or is that, again, is it sort of word of mouth, like, oh, you should get this guy or this woman or whatever? A lot, a lot of the artwork's done by a guy called Julian House at a company called Intro. And we've been working with him for years and years and years. So we, we'll go, we'll talk to him and brief him and give him photographs and so forth. The banner, just talk it through. And he, the, the only problem with him, he'll come up with like five or six completely different but equally brilliant oh, ideas. No. I know, and you're stuck <laughs> shuffling through them. Which one are you going to go with? But he's very, very clever. Fantastic. Yeah. It's good that you've got him. That's amazing, yeah. No, they really yeah. are beautiful covers. Um, so also I'd like to ask you, about World Circuit's connection with none such in America, because I think that'd be quite good for the listeners to know about. Yeah, I mean the, the relationship with none such has been been incredible, really, because we they came to us to license the second or third record we did with Umisangre, mm. and while we were talking about licensing that record, we were just about I think I was just about to go or just come back from Cuba when we'd made When Vista Social Club. And that record was the subject of um, people were interested in that in the States. But we sent that to America as well. And, and sort of on the strength of that one record and Umi's record, they offered us a deal for the whole label, which they, I think they've never done before, never done since. So they released, from that point on, they just released everything that we released in the States. Incredible. Yeah, it was great. That's yeah. cool. And it was quite, it, it was good because, you know, Buena Vista caused a lot of interest, but they didn't come to us for Buena Vista. They came to us for Umu, which was, that was what was sort of, gratifying about it as well that's really nice yeah i'm glad about that um i've got uh you here as well to take us through some music from the label so i don't know how you've selected these um have I've you gone kind of sort of a bit randomly really um maybe we could start with something let's assume that people listening don't know much about the label what is one of the track or one of the records you've chosen that you really think sums up world circuit well i think you know the, the most Famous record we did was Bon Vista Social Club, yeah. which yeah, that record people know more than any other record we've done. Yeah, and that we've got a song called uh, Camino a la Vereda, which was sung by Ibrahim Ferrer and Compa Segundo, and that whole record came about as sort of a, a, a happy accident, really, because we were I was working with um, bits of Cuban music. One of the first records we did was a license from um in Cuba of a, a lady singer called uh, Selena Gonzalez. Mm -hmm. And on the strength of that, I became, you know, before I'd been very interested in Cuban music. And we went out to Cuba to make a collaboration with some Malian guitarists and some musicians from the east of Cuba. And the Malian musicians didn't come because they had passport, no visa problems. So I'm gabbling a bit. This story is really difficult to tell. It's oh, quite, go on. It's, it's quite, really good. It's quite a complicated story. <laughs> Keep going. All right. Oh, okay. So then, so then, and at the same time, just before we went, I invited Rai Kuda to see if he'd come as well. And I'd worked with him on a record with Ali Fakature. So he immediately said yes. I mean, it was the days of faxes. So I sent a fax and it almost came back in the same role saying, yes, we'll be there. Wow. So we went out. I'm trying to backtrack. Now. So we went out to make two records, actually. We went out to make a big band record of like a tribute to the music of the 40s, but featuring some of the musicians from the 40s and 50s. And that was all put together by a Cuban musician called Juan Marcos Gonzalez. So we made that record in the first week. And already the atmosphere was sort of electric, really, because we had a lot of older musicians who had retired. And they'd come back into the studio for the first time in years and years and years. But there was two other generations of musicians who were 
learning from them, being inspired by them, and the older musicians were sort of showing off a bit to them. So there was an incredible <laughs> atmosphere and this amazing old wooden studio that was built in the 50s that we were in. And it was just... So every day, there was like, I think we only it was five days we did recording, and it all went down, like rhythm section went down first, so it was just bass and percussion. And even that was just heaven, and the groove was amazing. And then oh, the horns wow. came on top of that, then the piano, and then the singers. So it was built up... Like a, like a lot of records are made, it was just built up bit by bit rather than the whole band playing live. So it was revealed itself to you. Mm-hmm. And then just during the making of that, we found out that... The, oh, that's my phone, sorry. <laughs> <Don't worry. laughs> during the making of that, we found out that the Africans couldn't come. So I told Rye, but he said, I don't care, let's just try something. Yeah. So then he arrived and we had then we brought some other musicians in from the East. So we'd brought in Eliada Sachoa, Compas Segundo. And we just had a room full of musicians, but without really a plan at that stage. But because people had been playing for a week, everyone was just playing all the time, these musicians. But there was a lot... So the musicians had come together and they didn't really know each other. They knew of each other rather than knew each other. And there was a lot of disparity in stars because there was Santiago, musicians from the East of Cuba, which is like little guitar band music. And much bigger band musicians from you know with a with a fuller rhythm section and pianos and brass section all so you're mixing all, all these styles, and then the repertoire would be chosen like literally someone would just start singing a song, in the corner and people would join in and then we'd have to sort of clear the studio because everyone would join in you'd have two <laughs> twenty musicians and you sort of have to sort of c- customize each each song to the each um, ensemble to the song so mm-hmm. you sort of clear the studio and then build it back up again and then we recorded for. It was only six days, six, seven days, just really? every day, all day. It must have been so recording. intense. Uh, it was, yeah, but it didn't feel intense. It was just amazing. Yeah, because you just, love it. You just want oh, to be in the studio yeah, the whole yeah, time. It was, <laughs> it was, yeah, yeah, no, it was incredible because you'd sort of, you, you know, you sit here, you sit behind the glass watching them and then you'd go out into the room. That's the amazing thing on this record as well. You'd go into the room and sit amongst the musicians playing it and you'd come back into the control room and it sounded exactly the same. Wow. So it sounded like, and that's what I think helped the record so much, you feel like you're in the room yeah, for with sure. the musicians. We had these microphones, ambient microphones, high up in the ceiling, which caught basically all of this sort of surround sound, I suppose, for want of a better word. And it's just, yeah, it's, the sound is amazing on those things. Incredible. Um, would you be able to pick a track from the album? Yeah, I mean, the track I'd choose is Camino Alavareda, partly oh. because it's got um, Ibrahim Ferrer on, who turned up on the... I think we were we were in the studio working and someone was singing a bolero, which is a, a Cuban uh, um, ballad, mm-hmm. love song. And Rai Kuda said, is it, can we find someone with a softer voice to sing that? And Juan de Marcos, the band leader, just sort of jumped up and left the studio and came back, with, you know, ten minutes later with this amazing-looking man with his with his cap on and he sort of walked in like a cat he was mute, moved beautifully this guy and he just moved up and walked up to the to the microphone and started to sing and it was just gobsmackingly where beautiful did he, where did he find him from well marcos knew him from years ago but he's but he had not been very popular as a solo singer so marcos oh. knew that he could sing this material but i think some of the musicians knew him but he wasn't very well known at all but as soon as he sang it was just Amazing. Wow, that's such a cool story. Yeah. Could you introduce the track for us? Yeah, Camina Alavareda by uh, Buena Vista Social Club with Ibrahim Ferrer. Oiga, 
trovada Yo como soy tan sencillo Pongo en claro esta trovada
that was uh, Buena Vista Social Club featuring Ibrahim Ferrer on vocals and Compas Segunda and Raikou on guitars. I'm glad you had to say that, not me, because I would have <laughs> tripped over my words a lot. Um, no, I, I, no, I have done. <laughs> <laughs> I've got used to it. What have you got next on your list? Um, I think I've got uh, Fatimata Juara singing um, Alama, which is, um, I think this is pretty much we didn't re-record this song i think she we, we umi sangre gave me a demo of her backing singer fatimata jubara's songs and this was one of the songs on there and i just thought it was gorgeous and it's just fatu guitar and vocals and i think she would have overdubbed some harmony vocals on it and it's just incredibly pretty and when we came to make the record we couldn't couldn't better it so we just left the demo there you must have learned so much from being in the studio so much, like spending so much time in there and watching this, watching it happen. Do you, do you find yourself still going back to kind of simpler ways or, or with new technology? Do you find yourself, are you still exploring new ways of recording? Or Most most of the time I work, work with the same engineer all the time, a guy called Jerry Boys, who, who goes way back to Abbey Road in the Beatles era. And he is a sort of, he likes to record a band playing as a band. So not not bit by bit, he, he wants to arrange all of the musicians as much as he can in the studio and play live, which is was my first experience working with Rai Kuda as well. Mm. He, he did very much the same thing, except Rai added um, this idea of having ambient microphones as well to catch the, catch the room sound. And pr- most of the records we've done have been recorded like that. You know, we'd, obviously we overdub and o- offer, the, offer the musicians whatever they want to do. So if mm-hmm. they want to overdub or, or try things, that's always there. But the actual recording, the way we record is pretty much try and be in the room with the musicians. That's great.
Fatumata Juara and Alama from her record Fatum. She's only still, yeah, I think to, to date she's still only made one record. So that was, and that was a few years ago, that record as well. But she's been tour, she's been touring ever since and making movies. Making movies? Yeah. What kind of movies? She, she starred in a couple of African films and also a documentary made by a German guy about Malian music. And But she was an actress before she was a singer. Oh, so I see. Was, yeah, so she was, it's not, it's not new to her. Great. So what have you got next? Next is uh, Ali Fakature and Timani Jibate doing a duet on a song called Debe, which is a few centuries old song from Mali. And this was a record we recorded on location in a hotel called, um, the, called the Mando Hotel, which is on the river, in, on the River Niger in Bamako. And... We'd invited Tumani as a chorus player to to, um, to come and duet with Ali on one song, and you know, as a as an experiment, and it it worked so well that we decided to make a make a whole album together. And I knew because I'd sat with Ali for many years that he knew this repertoire, this Mande repertoire of Tumani's very well. But I don't think Tumani was aware that that he knew it so well. So he was, you know. Basically, they they sat very close together, tuned tuned the instruments, and then Ali would play the introduction of a song, and each time he did it, Timani would be you know be very visibly surprised that Ali, <laughs> Ali knew this material, and they'd join in. Maybe they'd stop after a couple of minutes and retune and go, but pretty much not. So Ali would start, Timani would join in, and. Ali's sort of just holding the track down, really, and Tumani's flying around. So I, I thought at one point it was almost like Ali's flying a kite. He's sort of just, just with these little inflections on the guitar, he's moving Tumani around with what Tumani's going to play. And it's wow. just the, the way they weaved together was just, it was just gorgeous. So it must all, be incredible to watch. No, it was because you're, you're watching that and all of these windows, these huge windows outside of this conference centre where we recorded. So you can see the, you see the river as the sun went down. It was just amazing. Wow. 
Uh-huh. Incredible. Can you introduce the track, please? Yeah, it's uh, Ali Falcatore and Timani Giovato playing Debe.
that was Ali Fakature on guitar and Timani Jibate on Cora playing Debe. Debe. Like how you say Debe. How do you spell that? D E B E. Great. I was thinking it might be that way. And it um, could be Deeb, couldn't it? Deeb. <laughs> Doesn't sound as good no. as you say Deeb. Sounds like Dweeb. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So we're on to number four, your fourth pick today. You're doing this without notes. Oh, you're getting the notes out. No, I wasn't. I can remember. <laughs> I can remember because we did we did a, a new record with Orchestra Baobab this year, yeah, which was released in March. But this was the, the 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 record that I first heard of them, and almost the first African record I ever heard, which made me fall in love with African music. So I was given a a cassette in a in eighty two eighty three, and I was and with, with nothing written on it by a friend of mine. And I just played it. And those are the days you had a cassette and it would flip over itself and play the B-side. And yeah. I just let it play on and on and on and on. And then the person showed me the cover and all it said was it was a blue cover with yellow writing and it said Orchestra Baobab on it. But that's all it said. There was no, I didn't know where they were from, anything. And that was before I was, I think I'd started, I was collecting records already and maybe starting to work in record shops, but I hadn't no way I'd thought of forming a record company or yeah. being involved in that. So I just listened to this endlessly. And it would imagine what this band would be like and where they're from. And eventually I discovered that, where, that they were from Senegal and picked up a couple of other bits and pieces that they did. And this record, it turned out, was a bootleg made in France from uh, a selection of cassettes. The, well, the, sorry, the cassette you had was a bootleg? The cassette of, I had right. was, a, was, a, was a cassette of a record that was a bootleg of cassettes. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Sorry, cassette to vinyl to cassette. No, it's was. fine. <laughs> and then um, though eventually when I started working with, with World Circuit, I met someone who was able to track the to track the band down. Yeah. So I made I made a deal with the band and we released found the masters and released that record as Pirate's Choice. Yeah. Where we stole that title from a Studio One album that they called Pirate's Choice because that was a collection of the best Studio One pirate records so coxon himself decided to call it pirate's choice as ah. the best. anyway so we nicked the name and released <laughs> that and it was pe people loved it it was i guarantee that that record is complete money back guarantee it's the most one of the most beautiful records you ever hear and eventually we we were able to um reassemble the band with the help of, of yusuf and door who'd who'd weirdly enough it's his music that sort of ousted orchestra Bob because his music was much appealed to the youth more and that was so that ended their heyday but he wanted to bring them back as well so we were able to bring the, the whole band back together and um, they started touring again and they're still touring now that's so good you got the band back together <laughs> you got the band back together yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was success it was difficult because one of them was living in Togo and it was a lawyer and had stopped playing music two, two of them you know they were all in different bands so we had to slowly pull them back that's together great. what year was this that would have been God, early 90s. That's what I was going to say. I, mean, I was together. assuming it was sort of pre-internet. So, you know, doing that kind of stuff, is, oh, yeah, it, it must have taken a lot of a lot of hard work, really. And, you know, like it must be a bit sort of like treasure hunting, like trying to fit this piece of a puzzle together. And yeah, there's a lot of phone calls and uh, faxes, a telexes even. What's a telex? <laughs> I don't know, some sort of tappy thing they used to. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a sort of Morse code, but with words. Wow, amazing. <laughs> so, I mean, it sounds like a sort of steam engine type thing, but it was... <laughs> <laughs> but the the guitarist in Togo had said, I can't play anymore. I've, I've forgotten how to play. So we we went and found a photograph of him and bought the guitar that was in the photograph and sent that over. And so he started practicing again. Oh, and said, 
Incredible. You've got to write all this stuff down. I know. But when, when, they actually, when we actually brought them back together and they first played Impact, it was amazing because it was that music, the, the, the ensemble works, it was beautiful sort of clockwork ticking of just amazing groove and it was just there immediately. Yeah. It was just, it was all still there. Amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. Do you want to introduce the track then? Yeah, this is a track from the album Pirate's Choice by Orchestra Baobab called Utra Horas. <laughs>
That was Utra Oras by Orchestra Baobab from their album Pirate's Choice. Great. So we're on to your last one, I'm afraid. I just feel like there should be some kind of book about World Circuit. There's, these stories are just, that's kind of like the dream. What am I trying to say? I suppose it's just having that as your career, like all that passion, all those amazing people, just hearing that and witnessing all these things and kind of, you know, bringing people together and making this music is just so fascinating and great. You must just feel... I mean, you're just so lucky to have been part of all this stuff. And I don't know, I guess it's just so rewarding. Um, I wanted to ask if people out there who are listening are not necessarily into African music or world music, how would you suggest they, they start getting into it? I mean, it's, it's now it's so easy to, to hear music. Mm. I mean, it's just you just can go onto the Internet and just start listening. And, you know, one bit will recommend you to somewhere else that will recommend you to somewhere else. It's mm. just, I mean, it, it's it's weird because you almost don't want to, you know, now I almost don't want to be tempted by listening to music from some countries in case in case I get wrapped up into it again. Because in, <laughs> in, in, in Mali, Senegal and Cuba, there's so much music and I still feel that I'm only just, you know, scratching the surface of it. And Gosh. I feel if I'm interrupted somewhere else, it's, I'm going to, I don't know, fall back in the well <laughs> <laughs> like a never-ending quest yeah, to find the next yeah. thing yeah i can imagine and so what has world circuit got planned for the next i mean what are you working at the moment and what's going to be coming out soon and what does the next few years hold do you reckon well it's a bit of a mystery really it's it's this record from from trio de carly and the chronos quartet is the one that we're working on at the moment it took a long time to make as well yeah, this that sounds record. fantastic yeah, and, and past past that, at, at the moment we're in the middle of a sort of load of reissues because people are asking for vinyl of some some of these old records. We've just we've just done a reissue of the the source on on vinyl, mm-hmm. which I think is it's only available here actually at Rough Trade for for, oh, a, for a while, and we got to sort of go back into there and uh, rebalance it, and we found some more, found a bit more material and tunes. So that's that's coming out, and then. I can't remember what other there's there's loads of bits of vinyl. There's a lot of Ali Fakature that we're working on and we've we've there's unreleased concerts and unreleased sessions of Ali that we're working on as well at the moment. But there's other stuff that's sort of bubbling away, but I don't at the moment it's too early to tell whether it'll come to fruition or not. I'm sure it's gonna be great when it does come out. I hope so. so what is your fifth one then okay the the last one is 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 the first track of the first Ubu Sangre record that we did called Andia and this was this was the record that I heard blanket everywhere I went in Mali in that in that year and it's 
one of those records that is was so immediately grabbed my attention and pulled me in and it's into you're sort of surrounded by this sound you never want to leave and then the more you read a little bit about umu and where this music came from and what she was doing the more you sort of you know fell into this i'm not worthy phase and it was just amazing that she granted us the the, the rights to be able to release it and, and to be able to work with her before I, I ask you to introduce it i want to say thank you for coming in pleasure um and congrats on being rough trades label focus for this month i guess we're going to be plugging world circuit and stuff and good luck in the future doing all this amazing work oh thank you so much Thanks. and anyone that wants to know more information about world circuit just to know just read up on them and buy all the records and come into rough trade and listen and yeah, just check it out. It's just fascinating. And thank you so much for telling all these stories. Pleasure. And yeah, it's absolutely great. So now you can introduce your last track. All right, this is Andia by Umu Sangre from her album Musulu. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
Rough Trade Radio. You're dusty, you're dusty. Bedouin by Bedouin. Available in store and online at roughtrade.com. Have I swam too far this time To make it back on my time The city The city Reviews and subscriptions help to support what we do, so if you like what you hear, then please rate us on iTunes.